This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. came back for another episode of Previously on Lost. This is episode number nine. We're going to be looking at the episode Raised by Another. As always, I am Mike, and I have with me Corey. How's it going? It is great. How are you guys? I'm doing pretty well. Steven, how about you, man? Doing good here as well. Awesome, awesome. So we, we, uh, we're looking forward to talking about a little bit more... Uh, about Claire, finally. We finally get some Claire backstory. As a matter of fact, we get a lot of Claire backstory. Um, and, uh, and and I'm looking forward to digging into that. And before we get to that, I just kind of want to make mention that we've... Listen, just like a finely tuned Oceanic Flight 815 airplane. We're going through it. We're trying to fine-tooth comb this thing. And uh, we, we... So it won't crash... But we are we're looking through to try to make this episode these episodes a little better. So we're combining a couple more sections and uh, changing a little bit of new stuff. So you just keep with us. We're gonna find it eventually, and uh, and 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 we're we're, we're gonna dig it, and it's gonna be great. So I'm looking forward to getting into this. How about y'all? You know, I, I have to say, there's nothing better quality than an oceanic plane. They just they really know how to make them impossible to break in half. That's that's what I've heard. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm very excited. Um, I'm, this is an interesting episode to talk about. It, it really is because this episode was not one of my favorites until a few rewatches ago. When I watched it, I'm like, I understand now the purpose of this episode and the value of this episode. It's pretty good. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the episode. Uh, this is season one, episode 10 called uh, Raised by Another. It was aired on December the 1st, 2004. It was directed by Marita Grabiak. It was written by Jeffrey Leiber, Jamin Lindelof, and J.J. Abrams. Claire begins to have reoccurring nightmares, which one night results in her turning up with bloody hands, which leads Charlie to find out what really happened and is going on. However, Jack isn't sure that anything is really happening. Meanwhile, Hurley finds, finds the flight manifest and discovers something shocking about a certain passenger. Interesting. All right, well, I have some episode facts here. This is the first episode in which the flight number of Oceanic 815 is mentioned. Is that true? I, I'm surprised by that, but we have it written down here, so it must be true. <laughs> it must uh, be. By the way, all these facts usually come from either Lostpedia, which is pretty reliable. You know, it is an offshoot of Wikipedia, but it's pretty reliable with uh, with a lot of Lost fans as well as uh, IMDb. Yeah, and it makes sense. I I don't remember ever hearing eight one five before this, but we hear it so much later in the series that you think it's in the first episode, but no, the you know we're we're just getting crash stuff usually for the most of it. Uh, also, for some reason, Hurley is not concerned when Sawyer's name doesn't appear on the manifest. However, Locke later points out that the name Sawyer was not on the manifest, but James was, and asks Sawyer 
where he got his name from. That's kind of a wordy way of saying that, uh, uh, you know, for some reason Hurley overlooked this James guy and Sawyer, but maybe there was a discussion. Uh, Next, one of Thomas's paintings in the apartment is later seen in Charles Widmore's office in flashes before your eyes. Uh, further note on that, showrunners Damon Lindelof and Carl- Carlton Cuse clarified that there's no character connection. They explained Jack Bender, the producing director in Hawaii, likes to add his own paintings to the show. But I actually think that makes sense because Thomas has a huge loft that is only explained by him selling his paintings to, you know, multimillionaires. Um, also, this episode marks the first appearance of Nick Jameson, who plays Richard Malcolm, Malcolm, the psychic. Uh, during a Q&A session in Israel in July 2009, executive producer Jack Bender revealed that director uh, Marita Grab- Grabiak pushed for the opening sequence of Claire's dream to be shot in black and white. Despite uh, politely refusing her suggestion, she kept pushing for it, and he had to overrule her. She would never work on Lost again. <laughs> Interesting. A black and white scene in Lost. Yeah. So the rule of thumb there is do not <laughs> push something if your director does not want it done. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, the episode had the production number 107, while the previous episode, Solitary, had the production number 108. It was confer- confirmed by the producers of the show that the episodes were written in that order and the ending scenes were re-edited when it was decided to switch their order. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, that's from the official Lost podcast on April 6, 2009. Uh, in an interview, jo- or Jorge Garcia said the episodes were switched because it would be strange for the characters to start playing golf when Claire and Charlie were missing. Of course, that makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and this episode is rated TV 14. All right. Thank you, Corey, for all that information about the episode. Uh, so let's talk about it. Let's talk about this episode then. So four to eight episode moments that we kind of uh, really, um, really impact us, really enjoyed the episode, had carry on, carries on in the episode. Um, I'll just, I'll just start off. I really enjoyed um, in this episode Hurley's character growth. Um, he, he, he didn't just show up as this this we know he was the fun loving guy in the last episode and that kind of thing he didn't just show up as just this fun loving guy in this episode but he actually said i'm going to take charge i'm going to do something that i think needs to be done you know people are getting attacked in the caves we need to know who's here and if there is somebody else here you know who's attacking who who's where you know who's on the beach who's on the caves because you know, with what they say, 48 survivors, 46 survivors on the beach and, and in the caves, we kind of need to know who's who's there and who's been who would died in a plane crash, especially if they get rescued. They're going to need to know those things. Um, we see his real name. He finally gave his real name. He said, my real name is not Hurley. Do you know that? It's Hugo Reyes. And it's Hurley. I got that as his nickname. <laughs> you want to know why? Too bad. <laughs> He just, he just, he has that conversation. He has that conversation with Locke, where Locke's just picking at him. Locke has this disgustful side, and and Hurley says, you know, Locke, Locke tells him, did you, did you find, you know, I went to Australia, I was looking for something. Hurley's like, looking for, did you find what you were looking for? And Locke says, no, 
It found me. <laughs> just a very, just a very, and, so, and Harley's like, okay. <laughs> He's got That's a great moment. <laughs> right, it's a great one. And then you had Hurley and Sawyer's conversation, and Boone says, you know, it'd be a whole lot easier if you just had the flight manifest. Well, where is that? You know where it is? Well, who do you think has it? So he goes over to Sawyer, who's just laying under the old doctor's tent with these with these look like childish sunglasses on, sunbathing. And, uh, and he sits down to him, and he just says, all right, look, here's the thing. I need the flight manifest. I know you have it. And look, you could really use the bonus points right now. So why don't you just give it to me and we won't have any trouble. <laughs> and Sawyer gives a great line in response. You sure know how to butter a man up, Stay Puff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Anyways, I But he gives he gives him he gives him the manifest, so it worked. But there's this I wish we could get more. I know we're going to get a little bit more later on in the series, especially season three, episode 10. Y'all going to hear me say it until we get to it. But more interactions with Sawyer and Hurley. They are just, they are phenomenal. Their characters play so well off of each other. They do. They, they, they have a lot of great moments over the series. Can you imagine a new TV series with Sawyer and Hurley cross country trip? Oh my gosh. That'd be great. <laughs> that'd be amazing. Oh. Hey, all these, all these, re, they're rebooting every show. Might as well do a, do a spinoff here. That'd be a good, good way to do it. <laughs> I could do it. I could do it. We could do it. We'd, we'd love it. We'd love it. What about y'all? What, uh, t- tell me something that another episode moment that y'all kind of liked. Well, to, to me, this episode was all about the, uh, the, the, the flash, Claire's flashback with, uh, Richard Malkin. I mean, that, that to me, Lost is, Lost is the show that, that makes you think. And boy, did that did those scenes ever make you think, make you theorize? Um, she, uh, you know, the first time she goes to see him, he stops the reading, gives her gives her, her money back, um, says he can't do it, doesn't explain why. And then when she goes back to him later, he he does the reading. So, um, you know, got to figure out what what changed there was. Did he have a change of heart? Did someone get to him? You know, they you don't really know. We'll find out. Yeah. Once we get to the spoiler zone. <laughs> you know, while we're talking about these flashbacks, I have to say, uh, when, when I first watched this years ago, I don't think I was crazy about it. Just I was like, oh, psychic, whatever. Like, that's silly. But um, upon rewatch, when you when you go through all these flashbacks, it's actually one of the most complete stories that we get in any flashback. And if you if you watch this episode, you get so much information and uh, moments that inform us about Claire's character that really they didn't need to do that many other Claire episodes because you kind of learn you know so much about her in this one episode like if you look at some of the kate episodes you get like four flashbacks and none of the scenes really tell you that much about kate because she's so mysterious in this episode you you get kind of what her life was like before with this boyfriend and he's a jerk and a loser and he leaves her then she's having to deal with this on her own she goes to the psychic then you get the scene later with her about to sign away the rights to her her child and then you know fate 
kind of nudges her in a in one direction and she decides to make the choice to uh keep the child and then goes back to the psychic there's a ton of of character building in this episode for claire and it actually then it also sets up exactly how she got on the plane and ended up going to the island it's just it's a lot of the episode flashback episodes can't do that much in one episode and i went through and counted there's actually seven flashbacks in this episode which is a ton usually it's more like four i'm pretty sure um but they go back and have seven different scenes of of her off island and i think they do a great job of establishing who claire really is i think the only one that actually came close to that one would have been house of the rising sun when you have a lot of character development in 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 the flashbacks when the sun and jen relationship won that's true. That is that is a great one too with the with the flower at the end, right? Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, the psychic meeting with with, with Richard and obviously we're going to find out more about him, you know, at another date, but uh that just it 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 was <laughs> it was interesting. And then you ha- and then he and then he would call her after this after the second meeting at like 3 in the morning. And it's just this weird psychic guy is calling you at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I need you to. I have a plan. You you don't need to give up the baby. You have to raise the baby. It cannot be raised by another, which is also a play on words. It cannot be raised by an other. Ha ha ha! I didn't think of that. Uh, it's interesting. I, the the line that stuck that stood out to me was when he says to her. I think in, in one of the readings, or, or I think the second reading, he says danger surrounds this baby and it's, it's very f- foreboding and actually leads me into uh, one of my story threads is the story thread of the looming pregnancy for claire which is kind of the the mixed story for the rest of the characters not specifically claire's story but that's what's going on in jack's mind and kate's mind and for charlie is jack basically you know gives everyone this information at the beginning if claire keeps getting stressed out like this and she's having these nightmares she's going to have a premature pregnancy or, you know, d- delivery and things could go wrong. So that is kind of the, the, the stakes of the episode that we're, you know, we're linked to going, Oh crap. Like this is, we got to figure out a, a solution here so that this doesn't happen. And th- that's basically what the rest of the characters are consumed with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of Charlie, let's talk a little about the relation between Claire and Charlie. So obviously we know, Thomas, you know, if you watch wrestling, he had what we call a heel turn, um, and, and he kind of he kind of goes down this path of yeah, we can raise this baby and we can do it. It's a gift, it's a blessing, and then he just comes home at one time and pops open a beer and says, "I just can't do it," and then just leaves her. So Charlie is doing his best, and and we get we get the sense that Charlie is not looking for a romantic relationship with Claire. He really does not. He's not. He's not into that right now. He he just really is. I think reaching out to be a good friend to her, and really wants to be it. He doesn't pity her because she's pregnant or belittle her. It's because he wants to be a good friend to her. But Claire, because she's she's had issues with with her mom, probably her dad, with Thomas. She's not wanting to get close to anyone or want anyone to get close to her. And and what and I think. We see a lot, even though as, as small as as the the moments were, when she starts to go into the false labor, and Charlie's starting to like really freak out, and and he just starts admitting things like you know 
you know, I was a drug addict. Well, I did drug. I'm not a drug. I'm not a drug addict anymore. I'm clean. I promise. I'm doing great. And he just his drug addict admission. He, she's the only other person outside of Locke that knew that now knows about that. She kind of gives him a look like, wait a minute, what? And she says, "Go get Jack." <laughs> well, J- Jack does know too, because in the cave they. Well, yeah, but, but uh, still, yeah, it, it, it was. It, it's it's funny that he felt so comfortable with Claire, even at that time, and she never questions him again about it. Yeah, I think this was a... you know, we get later episodes and all, but never again in this episode do we hear her question him. Wait a minute, did you say you were a drug addict? I I think at at that point she was just... She's like, I I don't have time to process this information right now. Go get Jack. (laughs) Like, (laughs) But I do think that she heard it, and then, like, the, the, the great moment they share after that, even though she doesn't mention it, you know, she probably felt something that like this guy was able to admit this part of his life to me. Like that's, there's a level of trust that you automatically build with someone when they share something like that. Oh yeah. What I thought was interesting and I forgot about this. Sorry to cut you off there, Steven is, is, uh, earlier in the episode, Charlie and Claire have tea, right? And she totally gives him the cold shoulder. He's trying to be trying to give her the whole, I'm here for you. Like I will protect you. And she just gives him the look like, uh, yeah, I don't need that. Like, I'm good. You can go away. And he's just like, okay, I get it. I get it. And uh, he walks off pretty defeated. Like, when you when you look back, you think like, oh, every Claire and Charlie moment was so precious. But she does actually reject him. You know, a few times before they they get closer, which was interesting. I thought he handled that pretty well. I mean, he, he's like, I, I understand, you know, he, he didn't push her, he didn't anything. I, I thought Charlie handled that pretty well, but he was still there for her, still watching out for her. Well, I think, I think she, she rejected him because I believe it was either the flashback right before that was the one where Thomas, we see the one where Thomas comes in and just ups and leaves her. Yeah, this is and, actually. And she was. She was. She. She. Made, she was probably thinking about it because she was journaling. You know, I. 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 You know, you're sitting here trying to be nice to me, but you're just going to leave me like everybody else. You only pity me because I'm pregnant right now. Yeah, this episode really correlates, um, or the the two the story on island really correlates with the the flashback. You can see, you know, direct uh, relation relationship between what's going on, in, you know in current day for her and and what happened in her past i really think another important thing that came out of that flashback with thomas was you don't even know this because they're in the you know they're in the middle of an argument but don't bring your father abandonment issues into this and uh you know don't want to get into the spoilers there but i mean that's a pretty big line to just drop in the middle of an argument that you don't really realize what a big role that could play absolutely um it's going to play a big role, and if you don't know anything about it, stick tuned for the spoiler zone, and we'll bring that up. Um, what about you, um, uh, Stephen? Do you? We kind of all have this one on our on our on our list too for episode moments. What did you think about Hurley's idea to make the island census? I mean, I think that was honestly really good thinking on Hurley's part um I love the line when he's you know I mean he describes it really well I'm I'm out looking for to find out who did this to Claire I'm out looking with Scott and Steve and then I think there was who are Scott and Steve like 
Scott Steve. <laughs> they came back. <laughs> Something tells me we might hear them again in this series. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it, it's really good thinking on his part. Um, he goes and successfully gets the manifest from Sawyer. Um, he, the only person who's really gotten anything from Sawyer other than Kate, you know, he, he just is getting stuff done and, you know, figures out, you know, we might be a, a few minutes too late, but he, he really figures out where the, uh, the mole in their camp is. Yeah. I would actually go out on a limb and this probably isn't much of a limb and say that the moment where Hurley says, one of them wasn't on the manifest. I would say that is probably in the top five most memorable moments of Lost. I'm not saying necessarily it's the best, but if you were to ask somebody, you know, what's a moment you remember in Lost? Like that's got to come up there because that was one of the biggest kind of you know WTF moments in the in the first season where people were really blown away and everybody was talking about it and it really propelled the show, um, you know, further. In, in season one, as far as interest is concerned. Um, and everybody remembers that moment, just, the, you know, how he runs up, how he says it, the reaction. Yeah. And then, and then obviously you kind of know who it is by the end of the episode. You kind of, you know, you kind of get that look like, okay, you got this creepy guy here. Uh, look, look at Claire and Charlie. And, um, but, but yeah, that, that was a, that was, that was very, um, I, I don't know if we have we mentioned this before that that the actor is uh, Tom Cruise's cousin. Since uh, Ethan, ever since I found that out, I can't not see it. It's, yeah, he's, really? he's Tom Cruise's cousin, William Mapother or Mapother. I, I don't even know how you say it. <laughs> I cannot. I never knew that. No, I I I don't really see that. But maybe when I watch the next episode, I'll see it. If he's in the next episode, dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> but <laughs> he could have just been wanting to say hi to Charlie and Claire and just be kind and and help her along. And we, we don't know people's motives, even though they have creepy faces standing next to trees. Yeah, all he says is, hello there. <laughs> right. <laughs> just stares at her and just, oh, it's creepy. He does, But he does that face so well. He He portrays his character very well in this episode. He acts like this, 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 I don't want to say dumb guy. And then he just asks Hurley, what's the, uh, what, what are you doing there? I'll make it a census. He's like, oh, that's a, it's a good idea. But then, you know, in his mind, he's, you know, he's thinking, oh crap. Yeah. They were, they were looking for a guy. They're like, we need someone who can do a really good empty face, just emotionless. They're like, you know what? Tom Cruise has a cousin, and he's the guy. It. I know a guy who knows a guy. <laughs> no, that That's he funny. that guy does it. I can't remember his name, but he he portrays Ethan very well. It's a very memorable character. I, I think one of those other moments you were talking about that's like, oh my goodness, kind of a moments we know after Hurley said Jack, and Jack's not listening. Jack, we're not alone, or, or somebody wants to manifest is when Saeed comes back. And he just hobbles past Locke, and he looks at Jack, and he's just watering. He finally just, we're not alone. We're, <laughs> it's kind of what, it's kind of like a double bombshell moment right there. We're not alone, and then somebody somebody wasn't on the manifest. Yeah, it's like he has a second form of of evidence here. You've got you have two people, and their stories connect, and so it it makes it a lot more convincing. It's a good way of 
of clearly stating to the audience, okay, we're not alone. Hurley says there's a name missing. Here's Ethan. And it just connects all the pieces. And it's, it's very obvious that this guy is bad news. Absolutely. Um, y'all just feel free to jump in any time. So I would say that another good moment for me it was uh was Charlie and Claire's touching moment at the end. I know we mentioned that a little bit, but uh, after getting kind of rejected to the to the moment at the end where he talks through the the psychic um, experience she had, you know, the experience with him, and he says he knew he knew you're going to crash on the island, and then you know the contractions stop. You know that was a big moment for their relationship because she was calmed down by his presence, and then she even takes his hand and puts puts it on her, her belly to feel the kicking. I liked I liked that moment a lot. It, just the way they yeah. intercut that with the flashbacks of the the psychic, you know, give, giving her the plane ticket and everything. The way they were cutting that back and forth with them coming to that realization, I mean that that was just very well done. Absolutely. You can say what you you want about this episode not being quite as as fun and interesting as some other episodes but it is a very good cohesive story like it all is building towards the end and everything connects very well it is it's it's a very well written episode good uh speaking of a part in the episode so we get to the scene where claire is about to sign over the baby to this couple and one thing that kind of stood out to me is that guy the husband he looked very creepy. He looked. He kind of looked like an Ethan guy. The way he was just staring at at, at Claire and staring at his wife was kind of like kind of gave that weird look. And it was just it was really. He never awkward. said anything in the but whole scene either. The point. That was kind of weird. <laughs> right. He just had this really grunge kind of look on him. But the the one thing that really um, that that we really saw kind of that work here is we have the same discussion. Uh, I don't know if we've had it or I've had it with somebody else, but we have the same discussion of fate versus free will because you have multiple pens now not working. So you have the main pen and then you have the lawyer's pen. And then when she finally gets a pen that works, she decides, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to sign. I'm going to walk away and leave. So we have, was it a really a free will decision to walk away and leave or is it just be fate because that that's a big thing in this in this show is fate versus free will even even without well, knowing what we know later in the series which we could probably talk about in the spoiler section i think just that moment in itself is a good story you know it's if you're you know if you're going to do something like that and the pen's not letting you sign. I mean, yeah, you're gonna wonder: is is this a sign? I mean, I think that's a pretty normal thing for for people to wonder. Well, I think this is really more of a lesson for lawyers that you always <laughs> want to test your pen before you hand it to someone. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but but no, in all seriousness, it does. It is actually an interesting um, kind of battle between fate and free will, and I think the writers specifically left it open to an interpretation. And I like to think, maybe this is just my own bias, that uh, you know there was a little bit of fate nudging Claire in in one direction, but ultimately she still makes the decision. You know, she had two pens not work. We don't ever see her write with the third pen, 
you would guess that the third pen would probably work, but she gets to make the decision at that point. Right. And the decision she made was to go back to the psychic who promised her $6,000 when he leaves and they were going to give the baby to a good couple, which we already brought in. In fact, there was no good couple. It was just he wanted to get her on that plane to get her away from everybody so that she couldn't, that baby couldn't be raised by anybody else. It had to be raised by her. Um, and, and that was, that, that was, that was good. Um, one more, one more thing I had in mind and we can, we can keep going is Claire's night attack. Um, obviously we don't want to say anything until the spoiler zone, but Claire believes she was attacked. It kind of just drops there. Um, Jack checked her over. She didn't have any puncture holes or anything like that in her belly from a needle, um, but what we see that we see is a very vivid, it was a very vivid nightmare to her, much like the first nightmare that we see in the beginning episode was like, was like the opening of a horror movie, kind of a nightmare. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> and a couple, um, th- couple things I hadn't noticed, um, obviously you noticed the black and white eye of Locke, you know, that, that kind of draws you to it, that, you know, black and white theme, but I had never really paid attention to the fact that he was you know doing a psychic reading there it was cards and said that of however Richard Malkin did his psychic work but he was sitting at a psychic table and I don't know that I ever noticed that part of it before he, and, he just I, and they're like steel tarot cards too yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely uh, what other moments did y'all do y'all do y'all have from this episode? Well, I, yeah, I just thought that that was a int- very interesting way to open the episode, and then finding the the blood in the bottom of the the cradle um, or the crib um, was it's just such a creepy way to open an episode. Uh, and I actually, you look back and they they use this nightmare thing to kind of fool the whole audience too because when you watch later where she where she has the nightmare and you see kind of these little flashes the needle the hand the knife covering her mouth all of that actually looks very very real like it could they they shot it in a way that it's not a nightmare they just cut it really fast together and because we saw the other longer nightmare at the beginning we just assume that the second one is also a nightmare but once you know what happens and you rewatch it, you're like, Oh no, like that's obviously just quick cuts of, of what really happened of of reality. And, uh, she wasn't lying. She was being honest and nobody believed her. Yeah. The now going back to a previous episode fact, they wanted to shoot, she, the director wanted to shoot the first scene in black and white. How do you think that would have done? Well, it would have taken away the effect of Locke's eyes, one being white and one being black. I, I don't know how that would have played in a black and white scene. It, I mean, it's yeah, still black and white, just, right? Yeah, I don't know that it would have the same effect. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think I don't think it would have affected like, like you wouldn't have got the realism of like the blood, um, just some some other thing. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it would have worked black and white. Yeah, I'd like I, to see a cut of it in black and white. To me, that sounds kind of sacrilegious as far as Lost is concerned. Like, you have this beautiful island. The island is a character. You have the the greenery all around. 
you've got the characters, uh, you know, drenched in sweat as they go through. You know, it's just like color is a part of this show. And I just the black and white for Lost. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Obviously, it didn't to the writers either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Good deal. Uh, any other thoughts on this episode, gentlemen? I don't know that it had a big effect on any other stories, but I think kind of the Kate, the Kate scene where she's sinking when, you know, Jack says you're finally not running, and she says she's sinking. I think that's kind of an iconic scene too. Even though, I mean, I don't know that it really ties into anything else going on in the episode. Um, I know I've stood on a beach and and done that and thought of Lost for sure. <laughs> yeah, e- even when she's standing still, uh, practically doing nothing, Kate can never admit that she's doing nothing. She's always <laughs> doing something, right? <laughs> She can't stand still. If she is, oh, I'm actually, I'm sinking, technically. Yep. And Jack, Jack called her out for that. So I thought that was funny. He called her out for it. One one little note here. This isn't really a moment, but the music in this episode is fantastic. And I, I feel like we hear some little lost tunes that we hear for the first time in this episode, especially in the psychic scenes. And then I don't think we hear some of that again for like seasons later. Um, You know, this isn't really a spoiler, but later on, I think they take some of this music and, and kind of tweak it for some, from, for some Desmond stuff later on, who's another, you know, character you eventually learn about, but Oh wow. I recognize that tune. Um, So I'll bring it up more in the, the spoiler zone, but uh, that was interesting. Oh Yeah. And we'll bring up a little bit more about Catch a Falling Star in a spoiler zone, too. Another quick little scene I almost forgot about that I loved was when uh, when Hurley was interviewing her. <laughs> Location, Crap Hole Island. <laughs> and, and, then, and then after they told her what happened to Claire, I am so not moving to the rape caves. I mean... <laughs> Because she looked like she was packing up, and her and Boom looked like they were getting ready to head to the head to the caves. And she just dropped her bag and said, "Nope, I'm not moving. I'm staying here on the beach." I'm surprised he could even get her to think about moving to the caves. You know, it just pretty much every scene she's suntanning. So, well, he probably convinced her because of her health concerns. She may want to be around Sun and Jack. Good point. Good point. With the the asthma from two episodes ago. Well, give me, Stephen, give me your 15 or 16 second overall thought on the episode. Well, I, I think this is a very good episode. Um, primarily, I think, to me, because of the, the whole psychic part of the story. I mean, I think that that's really what made this episode pop. Um, it was, you know, just that making you think hey, what happened here? Did this person really get her on this on this flight intentionally? Um, yeah, I thought it was a good episode. And, uh, Corey, what about you? I would say this is a very complete story that teaches us a lot about Claire and who she is, connects her past to the island, and at the same time raises the stakes for the entire group of survivors with the reveal of Ethan being nefarious at the end 
Right. See, we, we don't know. We don't exactly know where he comes from. Which kind of, you know, brings me to my thought. I thought it was a good episode. It was a good reveal about Ethan. Um, we always kind of knew something was a little off about him for the first past few episodes, especially last episode. Um, but it was, it, it does set up a lot of things. You know, why is he, why is he so interested in Claire? Why is he so inter- interested in the baby? And we'll learn about the baby thing, um, here after a while and Claire after a while as well. But it's a very good, um, it's a very good episode. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it, I thought it set up a lot, took it a lot better than I used to. Um, so anyways, um, all right. With that being said, we're going to rate this movie, this movie out of 23. We're going to rate this episode out of 23, one out of 23 crazy horror nightmares. <laughs> so Corey, how many crazy horror movie nightmares do you give this? I'm going to give this 19 out of 23 crazy horror movie nightmares. All right. Uh, I'm going to give myself 20 out of 23. And what about you, Steven? I also went 20 out of 23. Um, yeah, just I think the first season of Lost just had some, some really good episodes. Just solid. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, to kind of end our discussion out a little bit, Sawyer's name dictionary was already mentioned earlier, uh, but Sawyer calls Hurley Stay Puffed, which is, in case you don't know, that is from Ghostbusters, the giant marshmallow man from the Ghostbusters 1984 movie. Um, Catch a Falling Star is something that Stephen will tell us all about. Yeah, pop pop culture connections. Uh, catch, catch a Falling Star, when Claire requests that that the Stewart couple will sing this song to her baby as her father had done for her. Um, it was written and composed by Lee Pockris and Paul Vance and popularized by Perry Como. Um, Ghostbusters, another pop culture connection. Uh, the Stay Puffed we just discussed from the giant marshmallow man from the 1984 Ghostbuster movie. And there also was a, uh, a poster of the Australian... Um, NRL team, the Brisbane Broncos, seen in Claire and Thomas's apartment. The team is from Brisbane, but they were living in Sydney. Huh. All right. And our next episode is All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues. It's wow, a what a title. Maybe the best title ever. I don't know. It's such a long <laughs> title for such a different episode. And it's a Jack-centric episode. Bet you never guessed that one. All right. Well, in closing, before we hit our spoiler zone, let's go ahead and give you some places where you can find us. You can find all of our shows on the RetroZapped network. Go to at, It's at RetroZapped on Twitter. You can find our podcast at Lost Rewatch Pod on Twitter. You can find uh, myself on Twitter at the DC Fanboy. It's at the DC underscore Fanboy. You can also find me on DC Talk and, Ran, um, and the Caped Chronicles as well. And what about you, Steve? Where can we find you, man? At Lucky13Steve on Twitter. All right. What about you, Corey? You can find me at OriginalMav on Twitter. All right. And you can find our podcast as well on at Previously on Lost on Instagram or Facebook.com slash Previously on Lost. Join us in RetroZap Discord for more discussion about this episode. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Go to RetroZap.com for more details on that. There's articles, there's posts, there's podcasts, there's a T Public score for anything in your fandom. So keep all that in mind. 
Are there any more non-spoily thoughts about this episode we want to give everybody before we head to our spoiler zone, guys? I, I, no, I feel good. I can't watch this episode with Thomas without thinking of the movie Wedding Crashers. The uh, the boyfriend Thomas was always the uh, the brother in Wedding Crashers. Also an artist, painted wonderful pictures of Vince Vaughn. Apparently he must just look like an artist because. But I, I just can't watch this episode without thinking of Wedding Crashers. Oh, that's funny. That's a funny movie right there. Oh. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. If you want to head on out, it's been good to hear you. Uh, If not, stick around for a little bit of a spoiler zone. All right. So let's talk about Claire's daddy issues with with Papa. I can't remember his name now. Crap. Christian Christian Shepard. Papa Christian Shepard. Oh, yeah. This was one that was left out there for a long time, and I believe this is one of those theories where, where, you know, you leave it as a mystery for so long, people kind of figure it out. And, oh, really? Uh, no, I think a lot of people guessed that that uh, Christian was her father. Yeah, I feel like... Not I, me, but... Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people had that... I definitely had read that theory a lot um, before finding out, so I, it wasn't as big of a reveal to me because so many people had thought that there was a weird theory going around for a while that charlie and liam had a sister and the sister was claire what a weird theory that would be this was pre-game of thrones so that might have been a little too weird i don't know yeah you i mean (laughs) but a lot of people did, did believe that even if See, some people also believe that Jack and Claire were brother and sister from, you know, they were even brother and sister. Um, but somehow they, you know, kind of like if we found out we, they don't know. It, it's just really weird. Like Jack had gotten old enough where he had moved out and didn't realize his mom had, I don't know. It was really weird the way people were trying to weird this, this, this theory around. But a lot of people did believe that Jack and Claire were brother and sister. They just didn't know how to put it together. Or how it happened. And what's interesting is, is they really don't ever get much time to build that relationship, even after they figure it out. Which is Cause, sad. Yeah, because season six doesn't really give that much much time. No. Um, speaking of Ethan, um, we know that Ethan's an other, and he gets sent there by Ben Linus to join the 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 front of the plane while the other guy I can't remember his name now goes and gets sent to the tail of the plane Goodwin. to join their group. Goodwin. Goodwin. That's right. Cause we get all, we, we get, um, 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 uh, Juliet. Yeah. Her. Yeah. Old Sawyer, Sawyer falls, him and Juliet fall for one another. But this is, this is one of those things that never did make sense to me that when you find out later that Ethan was a doctor and very important to their community, like, you knew why Ben sent Goodwin away to get him away from Juliet, but why in the world did he send Ethan to this dangerous situation that, you know, obviously they ended up losing their doctor? Well, no, it's, it's so that he could watch over Claire and, and keep tabs wow. on her. That's, that's well, how did uh, Ben know that Claire was on the plane? A good point there. I don't know. I don't know Jake, either. 
Jacob told Richard and Richard told Ben. <laughs> Probably. That's a little bit of a stretch. And who's this Richard you keep talking about? <laughs> uh, no. Um, and then we learn about, of course, we we know they were going after like the babies. And and we know that the, because babies cannot be born on the island. So the fact that Claire is pregnant with the baby when she gets to the island interests Ethan a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, I mean, we, later when you find out more about Ethan's story, which it's interesting, they delay telling you what happens here until like see, later later in season two, they show you what happens when Claire is missing. And by, by that point, we don't really care as much, Like, it, but it is still interesting. But basically, you once you learn more from other episodes, maybe in season three, you, Ethan just kind of goes rogue. Like he doesn't know what to do when when Claire is supposedly pregnant. Like Ethan doesn't know that they found out about him. He just decides like I'm going to take them now because she is having contractions. I feel and, like you can kind of see it on his face when when Hurley asks him his name. I mean, I, I think when he asks, "What's this for?" I mean, I think it. I think that right there, you can see when he made that decision. Oh shoot! I gotta, I gotta do something here. They're, they're gonna figure me out. Yeah, but, but at that point, he doesn't know that there's a manifest around. But I mean, it's a good point. He probably can see that he's got to make some sort of exit plan. But I, I don't know. It's like Ethan just—he had all this pent up energy. He just wanted to act like a supervillain or something and just get into a fist fight with Jack. <laughs> He does some crazy stuff over the next several episodes. And what's interesting is Ethan comes back. He's got a. He probably is in more episodes, or maybe not more, but just as many episodes after he dies than before he does. And all the flashbacks and stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, speaking of the pregnancy issue, I had to go to Lostpedia to look this up because I, I couldn't remember 100%, but it was because of the electromagnetic energy of the island. Um. The woman could not carry um, some surpassed into her third trimester. She would end up having a miscarriage that would kill both the mom and the fetus. Um, mm-hmm. However, Claire gave birth on the island because she had conceived um, off island, but son conceived on the island but left before her third trimester. So she was able to escape it. Um, and I had forgotten about that. Um, but yeah, that's. Um, and it's interesting because men experience a five-fold increase in sperm counts on the island. Interesting. All right. <laughs> but 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 the woman's changed um, immune system would attack the fetus is what what we'll figure out later on. That's why we couldn't. Um, that's why women couldn't give birth on the island. Which probably is related to the incident, the release of energy from that. Right, which then affected all women, regardless of pregnant or not. It would affect everybody. So really, it's all Jack's fault. Dang it, Jack. <laughs> we gotta go back. Uh, one little note from me is when I was talking about the music earlier, there's like a little part of the music that is um, the sound that, uh, what, what's her, Eloise Hawking. It's like the music that always comes on when she's in a scene, during that psychic scene. It's yep. like it's the music you get in flashes before your eyes, and then you get it all the time in season five because they're doing all this time jumping and all this crazy stuff. Like it, it becomes one of the main themes for a little while. It's that like very mysterious kind of mystical. It, um, 
you know, more of a magic feeling of a, um, in, in the music. But I heard that theme like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was even in Lost until seasons later. I think... Yeah, if you go back to the second, I think the, the second time she goes to the psychic is when you hear it. It's just, and it's just a little tiny part. It's the, the music that you hear, like, connected to Faraday and Eloise Hawking and sometimes Desmond, especially in season five. It's, huh, it's interesting. Yeah, didn't notice that. My, Michael Giacchino is an absolute stud when it comes to music. Um, apart from John Williams on his work on Star Wars and stuff like that, Michael Giacchino to me is absolutely um, an amazing composer on the way he 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 writes music and then reuses music and then modifies the music for other people and scenes and that kind of thing. He he's absolutely one of my favorite composers. Matter of fact, I have all of the Lost soundtracks on CD from all the seasons. Um, they're right under all the lost bobbleheads that Biff Bam Pow put out. So, yeah, he's amazing. He's good. Well, is that I, it, gentlemen? I, I did have some thoughts on uh, the island and uh, you know the the pin. The pin's not working. I, I thought I thought Let's that, do um, it. the scene uh, after Michael is off the island meeting with uh, Tom Friendly. And when, you know, he's trying to kill himself and uh, Mr. Friendly tells him, the island's not going to let you do that. The island's not done with you. You're not, and no matter what he did, he wasn't able to kill himself. And you kind of wonder, is that the same thing that's in play with that pen? Um, and the psychic reading, yeah. really. Um, you know, the, the psychic obviously later shows up in Mr. Echo's backstory and he says he's a fraud. But something, something enabled him to get Claire on that plane, and whether it was whether he was lying later about being a fraud, or or whether someone else, you know, got that information to him, whether the island directed him somehow, whether it be Jacob, I mean, somehow he got Claire to that island. Um, I don't know any thoughts on that. It was all part of Eloise Hawking's play. Yeah. No, in general, I, I kind of think there's there's times when Jacob was definitely at play, but I also think there's kind of an ethos to the island, and the island is a character on its own. And some things you just chalk up to fate or, you know, kind of an influence from from the island. Yeah. And that's where I'd put the, the pens not working in that category. Hmm. I agree. There was, yeah, it's a good show. I mean, it, again, it's it, this is a good episode. It it kind of it kind of opens some things up for later episodes for sure. sure. It, yeah, it it really it actually gives us like a story arc that basically goes the rest of the season. I mean, even the finale, the whole motivation in the finale of this season has to do with getting away from the others, and it all stemmed from Ethan at this in this episode. Yeah, and we know that season two will explore the others, but it will also explore the tail section, but also explore the relationship between Claire and Charlie pretty heavily. And you're gonna see, and I know we're gonna see a very interesting dynamic for them liking each other and hating each other, 
and Claire's, you know, trying to get out, and Locke's beating the crap out of Charlie, and um, and it's just, it's very, um, it's interesting. Uh, I can't wait for a couple episodes when we get to, I can't remember how far away it is now, um, where we kind of see our, like, our really, our first big death on the island from a main cast member. Um... Vincent, yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah, Vincent, no. No, Boone. never Vincent. Oh, Boone. Boone goes up in an airplane for Locke. Because Locke can't walk. I will say that last episode, I was going to mention this. Stephen, you said something about the line where Hurley says, how could it be worse? Well, my first thought is, well, at least they're not in the tail section. Because they got it worse. That's true. <laughs> That is, they got it really bad. Oh, that's funny. Ish, maybe. We'll find out, won't we? (laughs) It is interesting to think about what's going on other places on the island here. You know, you're not thinking about that. But yeah, there's there's a whole other story going on over there. But then again, Cindy did enjoy her new life with the others. So maybe it wasn't that bad. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. Well, guys, if that's it, we're going to go ahead and call it a night. Hey, thank you all so much for listening to Previously on Lost. And uh, keep a lookout. We'll be back on the island here before you know it to uncover who and why Jack has got some serious daddy issues. We'll see you all next time on Previously on Lost. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Have a good one. <laughs>